Welcome to Savage. I'm your host, Kelsey Kenry, CEO, wife, and mom of three. This is where you find the aligned strategy and mindset shifts to unleash your power, unlock your freedom, and step into your full potential as a CEO. Every episode is full of tough love and hard truths with a side of tactical guidance to expand your success. You ready? Let's do the damn thing. is one of the things that will help set you free is when you stop feeling so alone and stop being hard on yourself. Welcome to the Bravehearted Podcast, where we are changing the way you get inspiration by allowing you to hear resilience and victory in hard stories. We discuss new methods on handling life situations so you can show up confidently in your life. We are different. Because instead of just giving you inspiration through stories, we give you actionable tools to make the change that you want to make. Let's live bravely today. Hi guys, welcome to episode 25 of the Bravehearted Podcast. My name is Mindy Mercurio, career coach and business guru, helping women across the world find passion in their careers every single day. Just as a reminder, some of the material that we talk about is deep and can sometimes be controversial. Please use headphones when listening in public or around children. Today with me, I have, of course, our wonderful co-host, Kelsey. What's up, Kelsey? What's up, guys? Thanks for joining us today. So if you're not aware, my name is Kelsey Kenry, and I am a personal development coach working with women all over the world to break through fear, find their courage, and of course, working with moms to really develop their confidence and come back into who they are. So I'm very excited about our interview today. We have Claire Bidwell-Smith, and she is a licensed therapist specializing in grief. So she has two books, and we're excited to talk about some different topics today, Um, especially I think this is very relevant for the time we're in because I know there's a lot of grieving people right now. So Claire, if we can just dive right into it before, before we get into kind of who you are and what you do, I have a question that I would like for us to start with. And that would be, can you tell us just in your own personal journey, probably what is the hardest thing that you've had to overcome? The death of both of my parents young, that was kind of what set me on my journey of all this. Both of my parents got cancer at the same time when I was 14. And Mm -hmm. my mom died when I was 18 and my dad when I was 25. And I'm an only child. So I lost my whole little family in my mid-20s, by my mid-20s. And, you know, I think there were so many hard parts along that. But just to kind of find myself at 25, I just felt very anchorless and unmoored in the world at this time when all my peers were having a really different experience. You know, they were all kind of post-college and in new relationships and living in condos and, you know, just kind of having that that 20s experience of young adulthood. And I was pretty lost. So I think finding my way from that point was was probably the hardest thing I've overcome. And then there's like all the childbirth, but whatever. <laughs> that was also yeah. hard. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Such a, such a, like the, the hardest, but the most rewarding thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can only imagine, um, especially in that age, like you said, because it's such an age to where everybody's kind of like discovering themselves and having fun. And so yeah. 
you said that kind of sparked your journey into you know what you do now. So can you tell me a little bit more about that journey and then take us into kind of what you do? Sure. I've always been a writer since I was a little kid. So as my parents were sick and then consequently died, I was kind of writing through all of that. It was my way to make sense of it, my way to kind of express my emotions, to kind of understand what I was feeling. And along the way now, I've, I've written three books. My first book is a memoir about the whole journey and, and losing them mm. and coming through it. And then I've written two more kind of clinical practical books since then. After my father died, I really kind of hit rock bottom for a while. And when I began to come out of it, which involved a lot of therapy and yoga and meditation and just taking a really hard look at myself and getting really still and present, I decided to go back and get my master's in clinical psychology and, and become a therapist. And when it was time to get uh, my first job out of school, I just naturally turned to this field of death and dying. And I worked in hospice for a number of years. Um, and then from there, I worked in private practice as a grief therapist. So I've been in this field for about 10 years and have been writing all along the way. And I love this work. I think it's grief and loss are something that we will all go through. And I think that when we do go through it, it's incredibly difficult. So to have somebody help you navigate all the terrain that comes with it, but then also to help you find the transformation that I do believe comes with going through any kind of significant life event, but especially loss. Mm, yeah. That's a good point about the transformation that comes after, because that's a different, different kind of perspective, you know, because when you have that loss, I think there's, you know, the, the stages of grieving that everybody goes through. And I feel like that the, even those stages are kind of different for everybody. Have you, do you see that? They're absolutely different. You know, that there's the five traditional stages of grief, which are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And I think that, you know, our culture has clung onto them for so long because the idea of there just being these five simple stages that you have to go through is really appealing. Like it would be nice if it were that simple, but really- Like a roadmap, here you go, check the boxes. Yeah, just get through these and you'll be all good. Yeah. And it's not quite that easy. You know, they are- there's more stages than that. They're all kind of different timelines. Everyone's grief is so different. You may come in and out of stages. You may skip some altogether. You may get stuck in one. It usually lasts longer than anyone imagines it will. Um, so it's an interesting process, but I think it yeah. involves a lot of self-compassion too. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because that's something we talk about often because it's so important. I don't know. Have you read Self-Compassion by Dr. Kristen Neff? I love her. I recommend her work <sighs> all the time to my clients. She's incredible. Mm -hmm. She really, really is. So you actually said it, and this is going to be my next question to you, was what is the stage that you see people get stuck in the most? Hmm. I see people get stuck in this kind of variation of anger, but that's more often guilt and regret. I think that people, it's really hard to go through a huge loss, right? You lose a spouse or a child or a sibling or family member and to not feel some kind of remorse or regret, to not wish there was something you could have done differently or more that you could have done or said, or I see people come through that a lot. And then I also see a lot of people get stuck with anger. But the interesting thing about both of those, about guilt and anger, is if you peel up the lid on both of those, almost always underneath is just sadness and fear, you know, and it's, we mask those things so much with, with things like guilt and regret because they're an anger because they're kind of like more active emotions and we're afraid to really just sit with the sadness and the fear that's inside of us. So we, mm. 
we put these lids on them and we get stuck in those places. Underneath yeah. is just a lot of tenderness and vulnerability. Yeah, that's it's it's a great point because there's so many different layers of emotion. I always mm-hmm. say it's like a storage unit and we expect to put things in boxes and then we put them away in the storage unit like we're never going to see them again. But like <laughs> they're still there. If you don't mm-hmm. take them out, they're still there. And it kind of aligns with, you know, shame too. Like Brene Brown always talks about how people yeah. don't, you don't bring it to light. The darkness continues to feed it. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit more about like, do you, you specifically work with people kind of like advocating through the grief process and kind of help them get to the other side? I do. You know, a lot of people show up in my office and they have just gone through a significant loss or sometimes it's been years and they realize they just haven't been able to move through the whole process or they've gotten stuck somewhere. Mm-hmm. But most commonly, one of the first things people will say to me when they sit down is, I think I'm doing this wrong. And, and it's this funny mm-hmm. thing that we, we, we think we're grieving wrong. And really, there's no right way to do it. But I think that the series of emotions that we go through and the complexity of them can just be so overwhelming. I mean, it's really unlike anything you've gone through in your life until you've really gone through a significant loss. It's kind of hard to imagine it. I think there's a real beauty to it. It's not unlike what we're kind of going through right now in the pandemic. Like it's kind of made us all stop in our tracks and it's stripped away a lot of the stuff that we usually distract ourselves with and keep ourselves busy and the things we kind of fill up our identities with, right? Like it's kind of taken all of that away and we're forced to really take a hard look at who we are and where we are, what we are. And grief and loss does that too. You know, it kind of asks us to figure out what's meaningful to us and what matters to us and there's a lot of beautiful opportunity in that, I think, to reevaluate and to reimagine our lives and how we want them to be. But it comes with some pain and some uncomfortability. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody wants to feel pain, but it's such an important piece of that grieving process. And, you know, like you mentioned earlier, there is sometimes a shame around it because there's like the stigma that mm-hmm. being sad is not okay and really. Um, at the end of the day, being sad is an emotion that everybody feels that you should own and be okay with because it's the only way to kind of make it through to the other side of that process. So one of the things that I um, picked up on, you know, when I was looking through your profile and things like that was this piece of the grieving process that people don't talk about, which is anxiety. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about that. So my most recent book is all about the link between anxiety and grief, because it was something I was seeing in so many of the people I was working with, yet it wasn't being talked about anywhere in any of the grief literature. And it was something I went through too. You know, when my mom died at 18, I was um, a freshman in college. And pretty soon after that, I started having panic attacks. I ended up in an ER at one point, you know, thinking I was having a heart attack or dying. They checked me out. There was nothing wrong with me. Back then, this is over 20 years ago. They never asked me like what else was going on in my life, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and they just were like, oh, you know, do you take drugs? What do you eat? All these things. And I was, I checked out as perfectly healthy and they sent me on my way. And I just thought there was something wrong with me. Years later, as I was studying psychology, reading about trauma, starting to see all of these patterns, I was like, oh, I was having anxiety attacks after my mom died. And it made so much sense. And I started to put those links together. And then I started to write about the links between anxiety and grief and my office became flooded with other people who were going through it. And it's a really common experience to have after you lose someone is to suddenly feel like the rug is pulled out from underneath you and to suddenly remember or realize for the first time how very mortal we are and that there is no 
certainty of anything. We have very little control over how long we have here or how long we have with the people that we love. And when you're kind of stuck in the face with that, it can just feel very unmooring and very unsettling and it lends itself to a lot of anxiety. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. It's so funny that you mentioned that because I have a a friend of mine who recently had an uncle who had a uh, life-altering stroke. And when he had the stroke, she kind of started going through this anxiety and it started manifesting physically. And she ended up at the hospital in a similar situation to you having these panic attacks, right? Because she felt like, she she couldn't quite put her finger on it, but she felt like she was dying. Mm-hmm. Um, so she ended up in the hospital. Do you think now, um, and I have a backstory of, of what ended up happening to her, but do you think now that people, clinicians have more information or less information or the same amount of information now to help people who are going through this process? Do you think that we're moving forward and things are getting better? It's definitely getting better. We still have a ways to go, but it's definitely getting a lot better. I think that doctors are starting to see people in the hospitals and and ask them like what their stress levels are, what their stressors are, what's going on in their lives. And I I do get sent a lot of people who are like, my doctor told me this is probably anxiety and I should come see you. Um, So I think it's definitely getting better. We still have a ways to go though, because I think, you know, one of the reasons we also get anxiety after loss is that same fear of all the emotions. And we, we try to tamp it down and not let ourselves feel it. And when that happens, it can spill out in physical manifestations of anxiety. So it's again, that that kind of cultural message that we're not supposed to be vulnerable. We're not supposed to feel these big emotions that come with grief. And, you know, that's why it spills out into anxiety. Mm. Yeah. And I think like anxiety is such a, like, I don't know anybody that doesn't suffer from anxiety at some point, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just such an interesting topic because, it really so much of like, even what I've seen in working with people is so much of it develops and it becomes this bigger animal when we try to, it's from suppression of other feelings, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you suggest to people when they're battling with anxiety? What do you think some of the most helpful things for them to do are? Well, one, like stop what you're doing and kind of take a look around. I feel like anxiety is like a yellow cautionary light, you know, at an intersection where you don't Mm -hmm. have to stop, but you should slow down and like take a look around. It's asking you to pay attention and see what's happening. And so I feel like anxiety is like that kind of message within us. Like, how are you doing? Are you taking time to really sit through whatever you need to be working through? Or are you trying to rush back into your life and rush through your days? Are you meditating? Are you being present to your life? Are you attending to the emotions that are coming up? Usually not, you know, usually the answer is no. And so from there, it's it's really starting to kind of address and face a lot of the things there. Um, I think meditation and mindfulness are two of the most useful tools for anxiety. Mm. And it's because when we sit and get present and really narrow our focus to the present moment, it just brings a lot of space and peace and breath to it. When we're grieving um, and when we're anxious, we're spending a lot of time in the past thinking about something that happened, what what could have been. And we're spending a lot of time in the future worrying about things that haven't even happened yet. So bringing that awareness and that attention to the present moment is really, really helpful in healing. Yeah, that's a good point because it's exactly what you said about it's, you know, anxiety is us not being where we are. It's the, the worry of the mm-hmm. past or um, the future. What do you think with that the link between grief and anxiety, 
what is something that you suggest for people that are kind of battling in that current situation? I think really taking a look at like, how have you grieved? Like, first of all, like how much have you grieved? Are there places that you're feeling stuck? Are there places that you do feel like you need to address? Often there is this kind of issue of the regret or the guilt or the anger that kind of needs to be looked underneath and see if there's just some real sadness there. Um, Sometimes there's forgiveness that needs to happen either of the person that's gone or of yourself. You know, Um, I've seen a lot of people feel like they didn't they didn't show up for their person in the way that they wanted to at the end. And now they're like racked with guilt over it. And often that needs a lot of self-compassion, you know, just like mm-hmm. being kind to themselves, reminding themselves and forgiving themselves. So I think that's a part of it. Sometimes just doing a lot of writing, journaling can be so helpful for kind of getting through some of that stuff. And, and when you really let yourself sit with the big emotions of grief, it really eases a lot of the anxiety. You know, it's there because you're not letting yourself feel all the things that you want to feel. Mm, Yeah. Just kind of like opening your awareness so you can work towards that acceptance Mm -hmm. is so important, I feel like. Exactly. So going back to your story, when you were kind of hitting rock bottom and you went through all these things that, you know, with your family and your parents, how did you know, or when did you know that it was time to reach out and get help? (laughs) And my friends forced me to go get help. Um, (laughs) I was drinking too much. I was in toxic, romantic relationships. I was running away from everything and traveling nonstop. And I was just so afraid to, to sit and like deal with everything, all the pain and sadness I had. I was incredibly sad. I really missed my mom, especially. We'd been very close. And it had just been so painful to to watch both of them die. And I just did everything I could to try to run from it. And I think my really closest friends finally got to this place. They were like, Claire, you've got to go and get some help. So I started with a therapist. And it was like, there was no big one moment that that changed everything for me. It was a series of small things that I did. You know, it was, um, it was many things. It was going to therapy twice a week. It was yoga and meditation classes. I was so afraid to go to yoga. Like that seemed like the worst, scariest thing I could do. I was deeply afraid to just sit in my body. I mean, I wanted to run all the time from everything. And so doing something like yoga where I was forced to sit on a mat and be present to my body was one of the hardest things for me. But it was also the thing that kind of like broke me open. And half the time I would have to just cry on the yoga mat. And eventually um, I was able to start to be here in my body and to be present to everything. Hmm. I love that you, I love that you brought up the the fact about <laughs> about I just totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's okay. About it not being the um, one big thing, Kelsey. Yes, that's where I was going. See, that's why we're soul sisters. Um, <laughs> yeah, we talk about it all the time about starting small, and even in a recent book that I read called Atomic Habits. I don't know if you've read it. I've heard, of, I've heard really good things about it. Oh, it's incredible. So he talks about, we always say, you know, starting small is better just, just to start. Like, yeah. you know, we get so overwhelmed with like the big goals that we set or how far we have to go. So just focusing on like the one thing that's right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And in the book, he calls it compounding because if you think about it, like a bank account, it's like everything that you do matters because it's leading to something bigger. Yeah. So I love that you recognize that in your own journey, that it was just kind of like, it wasn't like this big life-changing overnight thing. And that's exactly what I say to my clients. I'm like, it's almost harder because when you do something that's like, 
you know, like fitness, right? You, mm-hmm. you start and it's like, okay, you get the scale result and you get the body changes and stuff. And even though that stuff's not overnight, there's like the physical thing that you can feel, right? Right. And when you do this kind of work, it doesn't show up immediately. Mm-hmm. And so people get impatient. Do you see that? That, that like Absolutely. when you work with people, they're like, oh, I did two sessions and like, yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> Absolutely. But it really is. It's like, it's like how, when you look at your kids, you can't really tell that they've grown. But if you actually look at the, you know, the wall inches that you've been marking off, you're like, Oh my God, you've grown three inches. And, and I think we ourselves are like that, you know? And so we'll, we'll start on these journeys of doing this little small things of work. And then six months later, you look back and you're like, Oh wow, I actually have changed. But it's come in these little bits and pieces. Yeah. And that's, it's such a cool thing because I think while it's harder to be consistent, to mm-hmm. see that that bigger result because it usually takes longer. It's also really amazing to think like, I didn't have to like wake up one day and be a completely different person. It got mm-hmm. to kind of like transform over time. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I like, I like that you, I like that you recognize that. So tell me in your own grieving process, like, because obviously losing both your parents in, in a pretty short amount of time, what did you learn from your own process that you now teach or that makes you a better teacher? That's a good question. I think it's a lot of that vulnerability, you know, just really being able to face it and to embrace it in some ways and to be open about talking about it. I think that that has been one of the like big healing parts of it. You know, my first book is this memoir and it's this like really raw gritty story about going through all of this and like going into the the rock bottom places too. And then coming out of it and putting that book out in the world and sharing that story. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, there's a lot of pieces in there that are that are hard to write about and hard to acknowledge and putting that out in the world and then seeing all these people come back to me and pick out all those pieces that were exactly the pieces I was most afraid of and say, oh my God, this made me feel okay. This made me feel okay about my own self. You know, that has been really beautiful. And so just thinking about my own journey of connecting with others, sharing my vulnerabilities and truths, having that reflected back to me through through them and all of us kind of healing together is I think what's really important. Yeah. And it's beautiful too, how it comes kind of full circle that like, I know in my own journey, like I do what I do specifically because of what I've walked through in my life because of my traumatic experiences and because of the, the change that I saw within my own life from going rock bottom to then going to therapy to mm-hmm. life coaching and the change that can occur. And I feel like there's something when you've walked through something yourself and you've seen it, it just... Mm-hmm it makes people relate to you. And so you, you feel in those conversations, I'm sure with all of your clients that you're like, I know, like I, I get it. And I feel like that, that piece to where you can give a little bit of that vulnerability, you can give a little bit of yourself, just yeah, that allows people to open up so much easier. Absolutely. I think, um, I think we need to you know, remember and constantly build on how to, how to be open with people and how to be vulnerable and how to share our truths of who we are, because it's, it's, you know, the way to, to really heal. Mm. What would you say to someone who is like, 
we know that vulnerability actually builds connection. And we know that not being vulnerable kind of blocks us from connecting with people. But we have the misconception that it's the opposite, I feel like. Mm -hmm. So what would you suggest to people who are kind of scared about like, you know, owning their own story or or speaking to someone Mm -hmm. to get help or opening up in any way? Start small. Those little bits and pieces we talked about, you know, you don't need to like put a big post on Facebook or anything with your most vulnerable thoughts, but like start small here and there, like say little bits and pieces to friends, you know, or someone you'd like to get to know better. Start with, you know, when someone asks you how you are, don't say, Oh, I'm great. Thanks. You know, be like, you know, I'm having a weird day or just answer some little bit of truth and see most of the time, I think you'll find that other people are like, oh, wow, me too. You know, there's this commonality, I think that we all want to feel that we seek to like find connection with each other. So it usually just takes one person taking that first step out on the vulnerability limb. And then the other person will often meet you there. And if they don't, maybe they're just not the right person. Um, Mm. But I think I've always found that if I take the first step and I say the first thing, and I'm usually pretty like loud mouthed about like, oh my God, I'm a mess today. Or this thing's crazy. (laughs) Or like, you know, I'm a terrible parent or whatever it is, you know, and, and whatever. (laughs) (laughs) How often do other moms be like, oh my God, me too. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it just takes those little bits and pieces and like first step. Yeah. Where would you... So we always like to give our listeners kind of like some actionable tools. And I feel like we've trickled them in throughout here already. Mm -hmm. But for somebody who's struggling with grieving, or maybe they're grieving and they don't even realize that they're still kind of stuck in that grieving process, Mm -hmm. what is a step that they could take now? Um, I think to sit down and like maybe write a little bit about their grief in a journal. I think that would be a really great way to like write all about the different ways they think they have grieved and the, all the ways they have not grieved um, would be a really easy first step just to kind of gauge where they are and face where they are. And then from there to read some books about grief. Um, I think a lot of people, again, have this idea that they're grieving wrong. And the moment you really start to look at books about grief or other stories about loss, like memoirs about it, you realize that there's a lot of commonalities and that what you're going through, you're not alone in it. You know, you're not alone in all the big, scary feelings that you have. Mm. Um, And that is one of the things that will help set you free is when you stop feeling so alone and stop being hard on yourself. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's such a, it's so interesting how just, just writing is so, so Mm -hmm. powerful. I mean, that's one of the things that we say regularly too, is just like, write it down. When we talk about, you know, owning your story, just write it down, you know, speak it like just some sort of way to remove it from your body. I'm currently reading, um, emotional agility, and it's very interesting because they did some, uh, there was, they talk about a study that was done in there where this man went to um, construction workers that had lost their job and half of them, he made them just write down how they were feeling about mm-hmm. losing their jobs and stuff like that. And those men ended up being able to kind of process easier and get jobs. Right. Whereas the other half were like depressed and still didn't have jobs. It was really yeah. interesting that it's, like such it's a an amazing tool. way to like access your inner emotions and, and move yeah. through them more importantly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to say thank you for being here with us today and for sharing this. I know this is so relevant. Is there anything else that you think that you would like to share that would be really helpful for our listeners? 
I just want people to really remember and think about this idea that that grief is transformational, that it's not always this terrible thing. It's a process that we all have to go through. And again, it kind of strips us down and, and has us take a look at ourselves. And that's not always a bad thing. There is another side to grief. You never get over losing someone you love. You don't, you're not supposed to get over it. You don't have to. It's never mm. going to be okay that they're not here. Um, but you can get to a place where you live a meaningful life. You always miss them and wish they were here and you can be happy and live a meaningful life. Mm, that's beautiful. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Awesome. Okay. Well, can you tell us like for our listeners, like where can everybody find you and maybe where can they get your books as well? Yeah. Um, everything's on my website, clairebidwellsmith.com. And my books are everywhere. Books are sold. They're on Kindle, audio, um, hardcover, all those things. So uh, okay. yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me. This was um, such a good conversation and I appreciate you creating space for people to think about and talk about grief and loss. Yeah. It's so important. I feel like it's honestly, it's, it's something that's not talked about that often. We're just expected kind of like Mindy was saying, like, we're just expected to get over it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's especially in a time like this, cause there's a lot of people that are, that are losing people close to them. Yeah, really um, Mindy, did you have any, any last questions? No, but thank you so much, Claire, for joining us today. I really enjoyed our conversation. I think it's just such an important topic to, to talk about. Um, and, allow people to fill that vulnerability. So thank you for coming on today. Thank you guys so much. So as you guys know, on the podcast, we are forever talking about therapy and the importance of therapy and what it can do for your life. So we've actually partnered with BetterHelp, betterhelp betterhelp.com. It's an online counseling website. So you can go on and get a therapist and they will match you with somebody and you can do therapy right from the comfort of your own home, your car, wherever. So you can get 10% off actually your first month with BetterHelp. You just go to betterhelp.com forward slash bravehearted. All right, guys. So thank you again for being with us here today. And next week on episode 26, we are going to be talking about addressing our white privilege. And this is probably a sensitive topic for a lot of people. But as Mindy so well stated, we talk about hard things here. And for both of us, we've been very emotionally affected by things that are happening in the world. And we feel like it's our duty at this point to speak and let our message be heard and that um, we need to be better as a culture and as people. So we're just going to kind of share our individual stories of how this has affected us and what we're doing and, you know, our, our feelings on the situation of being two white females and the difference in our world because of that. So, but thank you for listening today. I hope that if you are grieving or if you are hurting or if you are anxious that you found some good tools here and we will talk to you guys next week. And don't forget to live bravely today.
If you are a CEO or entrepreneur, I want to invite you into a space that's unlike anything out there. CEO Power Hour is a free monthly live experience that you can join in person or virtually to get your questions answered to fulfill the desires for your business. Inside this room, you bring your biggest goal, the obstacles you are experiencing, or anything you want my expertise, eyes, and ears on. This guidance, along with the ideas and inspiration from other powerful women, allows you to be fully immersed in the energy of being supported and learn in a completely new way so that you can expand your business and your life to the next level. I created CEO Power Hour to bring together powerful business owners for connection, collaboration, and coaching. This is your invitation, and it's free. The link is in the show notes, so I hope to see you at our next monthly meeting.